A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Chapter 9 With the power play option, do you do that or do I do it? The cashier muttered unintelligibly and waved with a vague impatience at the Powerball machine in front of her, as if to say, Don't hassle me. All your answers are here. Maria went back to the screen. She had never bought a lottery ticket in her life. According to her mother, her father had played every week before he left. Somebody's got to win, was a kind of motto of his. The power play option was important. So was only matching the five regular numbers, not the Powerball number. She had the Powerball number. It was an impossibly weird thing to know that she had the instructions to win $200 million scribbled on a post-it, but wasn't supposed to use them. By matching five with the power play and deliberately not matching the Powerball, she would only win $2 million. But she could also remain anonymous. $200 million was a lot more than $2 million, but fending off financial advisors and long-lost relatives who had the legal right to request Maria's name as a jackpot winner would become the worst full-time job on earth. And really, it was unnecessary. Even after taxes and all, neither she nor Leah would ever have to work again as long as they weren't dumb. Three dollars droned the clerk. Maria added a pack of gum and handed over a five. The Powerball drawing was the following night. She had 24 hours to decide whether to hide the victory from Leah or just practice sounding really, really surprised. In the third mile of her jog, Maria finally spoke. You know, for once in my life, I've got something to talk about and you're staying nice and quiet. Oh, you wanted to have a conversation? Not really, but I'll lose my mind if I don't get some of this out, and I don't want to lay it on Leah. I'm glad I can help you not lose your mind. Ha ha, you're a riot. So what's happening, Maria? The road sloped up, and Maria huffed and pushed into it, thighs driving. So there's a super plague in the future, and it's caused by these little computers people put into their brains. Only when people get afraid of the plague, even more people put in the computers thinking it will save them, which just makes more people even more sick, and everything just goes to shit, I guess. Sounds very serious. Sounds just like us. Everybody's stepping on everybody else trying to get one extra inch. So what can you do about it? Qualls is still looking into that part. Something about some guy and a pipe. I don't like it. Why? Because it sounds like I'm going to have to do something heavy. You told them you wouldn't kill anybody. Yeah, but they didn't mention if they heard that part or not. Well, you and I both know that's not ultimately a problem for you. Maria stumbled to a stop, shocked, and cried out in rage. The voice didn't respond, and this felt like a mockery. 
feeling trapped, a dark spiral of nausea and self-hate grabbing to drag her into the depths. She cut off the whole thought cycle by slamming her head into the nearest tree. You're bleeding, Leah jumped up from the couch and ran towards Maria as soon as she opened the door. I know, I know, Maria said, stomping towards the bathroom. Her head was killing her. Leah followed and waited outside the door as Maria studied her wounds in the mirror. What can I do? Maria wiped most of the blood from her face and stepped back out again. Does my nose look broken? Leah started crying. Who did this to you? She pleaded. Nobody did this. I fell. That's all. Come on. Is it broken? Not getting anything from Leah, Maria turned back and studied it in the mirror. It hurt like a mother, and it was purple, but she didn't see any kind of bump or break. Only then, with Leah still crying behind her, did Maria replay in her mind the exchange that they had just had. Fell? What a lie. What a dumb, horrible, insensitive lie. Maria grabbed four Advil, ran a towel under some cold water, and turned back to her housemate. Kid, princess, hey, nobody did this. I did this to myself. Scout's honor. Why? Because I'm Fruit Loops, and I hurt myself sometimes. You know that. Leah suddenly turned and glided down the hall. Maria heard a sound of wood sliding on wood, took a moment to compose herself, and followed. Leah had shut herself up in their little cupboard with the sliding door. Maria had no doubt that she could muscle it open if she wanted, but decided that it would just dig the hole deeper. Hey, listen, I'm sorry I fibbed. I lost my head while I was jogging, and I ran into a tree. I didn't hurt anybody else, so it's okay, right? Leah didn't respond. Maria took a deep breath and tried again. I just have shit I'm going through, okay? Bad memories and the new job and and just trying to keep this thing we've got going. Christ, you know I would never hurt you. Still nothing. Maria went for the easiest bribe. Hey, how about I just put an ice pack on and we play cards? I can't even see out of one eye. You'll whoop my ass. Stop that. Leah's voice resonated through the door with vehemence. Maria backed away from the door instinctively. Hey, kid, what did I say? I know you won't hurt me. Then why are you hiding in there? Because I can't take you hurting yourself. I don't know anything about what you're going through, so I can't help you. And I just never know when you're going to do something awful to yourself and I can't take it. Maria heard hard sniffs between Leah's words as she fought for composure. Maria slumped down to the ground with her back against the door. Leah was so goddamn right. Maria touched her tender face and found fresh blood leaking from a cut on her forehead. Her dogging clothes were a mess out of some horror movie. Some fighter for the future. Some millionaire to be. 
Leah deserved to know more, but Maria didn't know where to start. So instead, she just started singing the craziest song she knew. They're selling postcards of the hanging. They're painting the passports brown. The beauty parlor's full of sailors. The circus is in town. Damn, Leah. No one got to hear Maria sing. You've got to speak up. There's traffic. Maria stood in the berm of the turnpike as cars whizzed and trucks growled by and her stupid car lay dead alongside it all. This is not the best way to give you this information, Dr. Quells shouted into his phone. Well, it's either now or you wait until I can get my ass down there, Doc. Why don't you replace that car already? Yeah, I'm gonna but I only won the lottery yesterday and I won't have the check for a few weeks. Hell, I just stuck the ticket in the mail on my way out this morning and now I'm going to go bust on a tow truck and a bus ticket. So I don't know how we're going to make rent next week. Can't you take extra shifts at work or something? I work when they ask me. I can't make more people spontaneously want to take flying lessons. Jesus! Qual's already loud voice took on a flustered edge. We don't have time to deal with these sort of problems. You have to complete your assignment in the next two weeks or else it will get much, much more difficult. Well, tell me what it is and let's find out if I need a car to do it or not. There's a pipeline being built between Philadelphia and New York. You need to damage it badly enough that it will take an extra year to finish. Maria absorbed this as a loud, angry honk doppled past her ear. Jesus Christ, you're making a terrorist out of me. It's not going to hurt anybody. All it's going to do is prevent some very rich people from becoming disgustingly rich. She could almost hear him tugging at his hair in exasperation. Well, what does the pipe carry? Oil? Cable. It's for fiber optic cable. What? How the hell? I don't understand. Well, do you want me to explain it to you, or you just want to know where it is? This was a new moment for Maria. Like she had told Dr. Qualls, she was glad to be out of the Air Force to the extent that she didn't have to follow orders anymore. And the mission at least sounded as if it wouldn't harm anybody. So weird as it sounded, maybe she could just go through with it and... Black smoke began to spiral up from the hood of her car. She kicked the door and growled and finally answered Qualls. No, no. I want to know what I'm doing. I'll see if I can borrow Albert's car and drive in tomorrow. Who is Albert? You can't tell him what we're doing. Yeah, no shit, Doc, Maria answered. Now you're all sciency, so... What's the best way to blow something up? Use work Thursday? Albert asked, pushing some papers uselessly around his desk. Yeah, sure. I'll be back, Maria answered. What happened to your nose? He waved towards it. Ran into a tree. Hope you taught the tree who's boss. He unclipped a massive ring of keys from his belt 
and separated his car key from it. Nige oil, you do that? Yeah, fair deal. See you Thursday. Maria was grateful for the short conversations like the ones Albert preferred. Any longer and she might start really saying things. Maria was sliding a pan under Albert's car when Leah ventured out onto the front stoop in her bathrobe. Hey, kid, Maria said. We can eat in like half an hour, okay? Okay. Leah sat down, pulled up a piece of dead grass and fiddled conspicuously with it. Something on your mind? Maria started draining the oil. I wanted to ask if you would tell me what's wrong. Leah was careful with every word. What, with the car? Maria joked, trying to put off what was coming. I mean, you talk about how bad stuff happened and you're messed up now. And you know what bad stuff happened to me. I mean, most of it. But I don't know what happened to you. And I think I should. So, like, I know what you're going through. Maria stared silently at the uncovered car engine for almost a full minute. Then her body took over, replacing the gasket and the oil plug down below, dropping the funnel up top, filling the oil, finishing the whole process from memory as she talked. I got my commission and wanted to go into pilot training. Instead, they said they had a new program they needed people for and that they thought I'd be great for it. So they made me a predator pilot. Drones. Sweet gig, right? Stay on base, and nobody's ever shooting back. Only, it starts to make you woolly-brained. You're sitting there in a comfy chair all day, looking at this picture of a house, and you get to know the people inside. Watch them come and go, how they dress. Little stuff you don't even realize you can learn just from watching. And you don't know why. You just know that one of these shifts, someone's going to walk in and give the order and you're going to push a button and blow up that house and kill everybody inside it. I jog at night, just run until I couldn't think about it anymore. I had to jog further and further. Then I would drink and jog or jog then drink or drink then drink some more. Whatever combination got me to sleep. Maria paused for a second, listened to the quiet glug of the oil pouring in. One day the order comes in. I painted the house. That's when you put the target laser on it. In my other chair, he launched the missile. After a missile's been launched, there's this countdown until it hits. And my job in those seconds was to keep my hand as steady as possible. Surgeon steady. So that dot didn't move off that roof and send the shot into the dirt. With three seconds left, I see movement. Someone coming out of the shed up in the corner. Someone little. Maria's breath caught for a second, remembering the image, wondering if she could say anything more about it. Then boom. Screen goes white. Everything and everyone is gone. And I asked the other chair, Did you see that? Was that a kid? 
and he doesn't know what to say. We've always got a chat window open with command, so I type into them, Was that a kid there? And for a few seconds, I get nothing back. Then this message pops up. I don't know from who, and it says, It was not a kid, it was a dog. Like dogs walk on two fucking legs. Albert's car ran a little bit better than Maria's. A little bit. She left in the early afternoon after taking a long and awkward time talking Leah out of coming along. The princess had poured out sympathy and support, and Maria hadn't really known how to take it. It wasn't her fault. That was what Leah kept stressing. Hadn't been Maria's fault that her hand had been so steady, that she had said yes to playing pilot on a base instead of pushing to really go up in the air. Maria wondered how she could have kicked down so many doors to get through college, to get her wings, to gun so hard for this dream, and then pass up on it so close to the finish. It hadn't been as easy and casual as all that. The lean from on high had been pretty strong. At that point, Maria had been blindly following orders for almost a decade. So words like, there's a war and we need you here were pretty hard to deny. Still, she wanted to fly. She had done all that so she could fly. It's good that you're talking to other people about it, the voice said. This is your fault, you know, Maria answered. Is that right? Of course it is. If you hadn't died... You would have been the one to go in. You would have made pilot. And I would have gone on to be a volleyball coach or something. Oh, you think I'm Sean? Of course you are. Who else would hang around and bug me like he did? I'm not your brother. I'm that boy you killed. Maria wanted to jerk the wheel, steer off the road, crash into the barricade. Better yet, fly off a cliff. Instead, she tightened her grip on the steering wheel and stayed steady. Perfectly steady. And she refused to answer. Come in, Dr. Qualls announced. Maria opened the door and entered the doc's little ranch-style suburban house. It looked like an extension of his brain cluttered with open magazines and books on every flat surface. He was in the kitchen. You keep your door unlocked? Maria asked as she walked down the hallway. This is a very nice neighborhood. My odds of being robbed are one in 10,000. Every time I turn the lock, that's a daily gesture reinforcing fear. Why bother with it? Maria shrugged. Your funeral. What am I smelling? Oh, I thought we would be talking for a while, so I'm making soup. Maria entered the kitchen and saw him, in a robe and natty striped pajamas, stirring something in a saucepan. 
If it came out of a can, you're not making it, she ribbed. You're heating it. Willie, he shouted suddenly. I bought some of that bread yesterday. Do we still have any? A full-bodied alto voice responded from somewhere in the house. Why are you asking me? I'm in here. Check in the box. She's never easy on me, Dr. Qualls murmured to Maria. Not for a minute. Suddenly, an exceedingly tall, solidly framed middle-aged woman walked in, wearing a robe of her own and a bemused look on her face. Her arms were folded over her chest, and Maria pegged her at six foot two, easy. Maria suddenly understood why Dr. Qualls wasn't worried about locking his door. So you're the flying ace, Willie said, a splotch of half-rubbed-in cream on one cheek. Walden told me you'd be dropping by. Willie knows about everything, Dr. Qualls assured Maria, rummaging behind a regular loaf in the bread box and holding up the precious half a baguette he'd sought. It's safe to talk around her. She knows about all this crazy stuff, Willie shrugged. I knew I was signing up for crazy when I married him. Maria looked again between the towering woman and the sheepishly grinning professor. This is your wife, she asked Dr. Qualls. Used to be his nurse, Willie said, turning to exit. But the son of a bitch wouldn't stop making me laugh. So what is this cable pipe and why is it so important? Qualls ate from a soup bowl perched on his lap, which made him look grandfatherly. The cable pipe is being laid by a private group of hedge fund managers. It will transmit trade orders from Philadelphia to New York five milliseconds faster than the current fiber optic cables allow. Five milliseconds? Like thousandths of a second? Yes. Maria frowned uncomprehendingly from the couch. Her soup sat untouched on the table next to her under a lamp. Why would they build a whole new pipe just for five milliseconds? That's got to cost millions of dollars. Somewhere around half a billion is my understanding. Okay, just lay this out for me, Doc, because this doesn't make sense at all. All right, imagine you're standing on a road on a hot day with a big group of people. Someone says there's a stand about a mile down the path that sells ice cream for a dollar. So everyone sets off down the path. Only you, Maria, you know a secret path through the woods that will get you to the ice cream stand more quickly. You take this path and you buy out the ice cream stand and everything they got for a dollar a piece. Your friends arrive and you say that the ice cream for sale is one dollar and one cent. And this isn't what they expected, but they set out determined to buy, and the difference is so small that you sell everything you bought. You didn't make the ice cream. You didn't market it. Didn't invest in building the cart or securing the location. All you did was have the knowledge that a purchase was going to be made and the ability to move faster than the purchasers. So you make a penny from every person in the crowd.
Okay, so I make pennies off of a group of people. Great. I just made a quarter. Why spend a half billion to get that? Well, imagine that you had that same path to every ice cream business in America every day. You're not getting a jump on 25 transactions. You're getting a jump on 200 million every day with no risk. You don't even have to actively monitor it because you've devised a program that will buy the ice cream automatically on any signal that someone else wants it, and you'll always beat them to the purchase. Okay, that sounds like some skunk shit. Who's doing this? It's called flash trading, and the answer is everyone who can afford to. People think of the stock market as traders on a floor barking out orders, but that's theater. The real action in the market is happening faster than human hands and eyes. Algorithms pitted against algorithms, all lurking in the subatomic structures of the economy making billions and billions of transactions every day, automatically owning massive chunks of our economy for less than an eye blink and skimming pennies off the top of every transaction we mere mortals might make. Maria felt the chip on her shoulder itching. How the fuck is that even legal? It's legal because the law doesn't adapt to technology quickly enough to stop it from happening. People who own these pipelines can not only make incalculable fortunes for themselves with minimal risk, but they can rent access for tens of millions of dollars more to others who want the same power. Okay, screw the future. Now, I kind of want to blow it up just on principle. Qualls chuckled as he dunked a hunk of bread into his bowl. Remember, all we need to do is delay its completion by a year. Why is that? From what I gather, when the man sending us these messages was younger, he sold something to a very wealthy person which that very wealthy person then used to cause a lot of misery. He hopes that if that very wealthy person doesn't have as much money, he won't sell. And this guy got rich using this pipe? So I understand it. Maria mulled this over. She wasn't used to having to consider all the costs and benefits. The truly big picture of where to act in a world where nothing happened without consequences. She had never risen far enough in the ranks to be the one choosing what trigger to pull and where. How much do we know about the guy sending this stuff? Dr. Qualls nodded in approval at the question. Distressingly little, I'm afraid. I don't even know his name. He says it's because his younger self is alive in our time and he doesn't want to risk what might happen if we knew how to find him. The idea is to interfere as minimally as possible. But you believe he's one of the good guys. Qualls paused for a moment, then looked off to the side with a smile, as if he could look right through the walls to where his wife slept. I believe that there are people who just instinctively make the world more chaotic with no conscious consideration 
And then there are people scheming to rig the world to their advantage. They work patiently and unrelentingly, and they assume the worst of others because that's all they know in themselves. And then I think there are the ones who task themselves with the never-ending, ever-futile mission to fight the chaos and do a little something good, fed only by the hope that this effort, when joined with that of others, will take us somewhere better. They can't promise success or a reward, but human to human, you somehow recognize the way that they try and somehow you find yourself wanting to try with them. Either he's doing a remarkable job of imitating the third type of person or he's genuinely trying to do some good. But I feel like I recognize his uncertainty and his hope and it moves me to act in the same way that I was moved to write crazy theories about time travel. Maria sighed to herself. Interfere minimally? This explosion won't be minimal. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com. <laughs>